13 years ago, um, on a cold, rainy, dark Saturday night, we brought Caleb home from the hospital. Um, we had had all kinds of visitors through the days, parents, relatives, church members, friends, all kinds of people came during the induction. You know, Janie was, was induced on a Friday, and so people were there. We have video of all this stuff. But, and, and the cool thing about this hospital was they provided a steak and shrimp dinner for the, the mom and dad um, afterwards. So on Saturday about 5 p.m. we have our steak and shrimp dinner and we're having a great time. And then they load her in the, the wheelchair and push her down. I go get the car and uh, come out. And it is cold, nasty January evening. We get in the car and we're all alone. And we drive home to our, our house and we're all alone. And we don't have a clue. I've had, I had all kinds of nieces and nephews. You know, I'd worked in youth ministry at this point about 11 or 12 years. And um, uh, I had no clue how to take care of a baby. There were no instructions tattooed to his forehead. Um, there were no clues about, you know, changing diet. How do you get this kid to go to sleep? I didn't know any of that stuff. So the first night, we're, we're in our home and we have Caleb in the bassinet. And I actually slept with my hand hanging off the bed on his chest because I was so afraid he was going to quit breathing. And I remember being so alone, not having any idea what to do. And, you know, there were times that, that he wouldn't go to sleep, and so I'd pull him over in the bed. Or, Janie, you know, you'd get so exhausted. After the first couple of nights, you're like, it's your turn. No, it's your turn. And I remember having him laying there in the bed and, and his big old eyes just blinking at me. And it was so sweet, but I just wanted nothing more than that boy to go to sleep so I could go to sleep. You know, and when he would cry, I'd lay him across my belly and my chest, and I'd just be patting him. I'd fall asleep. You know, I'd be so exhausted, I'd fall asleep, and then he'd cry, and I'd, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd pat him. As long as I patted him, he was okay. If I, if I fell asleep, he wasn't okay. And since, since we don't have instructions that come with our kids, you know what happens to most of us when we, when we start parenting? We just make it up. We don't have any idea. So when stuff comes along, we just make it up. If we get desperate, then we'll call somebody for help. But we just make it up. And, and I had never been taught in church or anything about how to raise kids. I knew what the Bible said about kids and spoil the rod, spare the child. I, I came out with Caleb's favorite verse. He didn't know it, but his life verse was, um, Though you beat him, he will not die. And so I've used that verse with him for his 13 years. It is true. Um, you know, I, and when I say beat him, I don't, I've never given him more than three swats. The most swats I ever gave him was because his mama said, when daddy gets home, you're getting three swats. I'm like, dude, I'll hurt the kid because my swats are, are serious swats. Um, and he knows it and, and he understands pain. So, you know, I love that Bible verse, though you beat him with the rod, he will not die. Um, but really, we're just making stuff up. And today, we're going to talk about how you, how you dial in this... Um, this spiritual influence. You know, we're talking about the influences in our kids' lives and what we want is influence. Well, today we're going to try to dial in the God thing, um, get that up to the high level, and hopefully you're going to know after this talk today what to say when your kid says, what about God? Now, today I had a little interesting conversation. I knew it was coming. Uh, one of our little ones before church walks up and says, what a dog! And I say, yeah, baby, what's up? And she goes, how come God doesn't have a wife? And I said, I, I knew this because she'd asked her parents already, and I, I knew it was coming, and I said, well, 
Jesus tells us that in heaven, we don't get married. Oh, I knew that wasn't good enough because you see her brow furrow. She goes, but he's got a son. How come he doesn't have a wife? And I said, well, and I, anyway. So you're going to get some questions about God. And, you know, Jeff was back there going, isn't it time for kids to go downstairs? You know, go, classrooms are open. So what, what are you going to say to your kids when they ask you about God? And, and we're going to talk more about that. Check out this video when one of our um, parents tries to dial in the God influence in their child's life. Now, hopefully, Drewzilla doesn't come and surprise you at your home. Um, uh, we want to try to um, influence our kids in the right way. Um, by the way, I was very scared how that was going to turn out. I'm glad y'all laughed because I was worried. Um, what I've got here today are some... What are these? What are these? Coffee cups. Good. Y'all are so smart. What, what goes in these? Coffee. Great audience. I, I like to quiz you just to make sure that you're with me. Now, I have, I have four different coffee cups today, and this is what I had when, when I got married to Janie. 
Looks kind of like a bachelor coffee cup, doesn't it, right? So this pre-exists Janie, so she, <laughs> she's actually nice, and she's kept him around the house, you know, um, just for old time's sake. She didn't like my dog that I had before her, and she kind of killed it. But um, anyway, this is what we got. We upgraded to this. This looks more like my wife, right? Like a Janie coffee cup, right? So when we got married, this was the pattern we have. We still have these. Um, then we started having kids, and we had to get one of these. The, there's a duck on that side. There's a pig on that side because, you know, our kids like to, to do what we're doing, and they like to drink coffee. And then uh, this one actually is Hannah's. This is from her tea set, but Hannah likes coffee. Hannah's at home today, you know, because I told you she erped yesterday. And so she and Janie are both home feeling bad today. And this morning she gets up, she's laying down on her little pallet, and, and she says, Daddy, this coffee is making me feel so much better. She has, she has a big old mug and a straw down in there. So this, this represents, because she used to drink it out of this, but she's graduated to the big girl cup. So I just wanted you to, to see these different types of, of coffee cups. And uh, if, these, if these coffee cups could speak, they would tell you that they get the most joy out of their lives from two things. One is being filled with coffee. And the other is having coffee drunk from them. Because in the hands of a master coffee maker, this coffee cup does a great job. Even though this is the ugly one. Any of these coffee cups do their job. So now, let's think about if these coffee cups represent... Our children, if our children do what their Creator created them to do, then they'll experience satisfaction in their souls. But if they don't do what their Creator created them to do, then there will come a time in their lives when they'll go, is this all there is? Now, you could use these coffee cups for, for other things. My dad is a shade tree mechanic. I have seen nuts and bolts in these things. I have seen, uh, not in these particular ones, um, but in my dad's, I've seen him put gasoline in it and wash parts in a coffee cup. Um, I've seen him pour, you know, kerosene into like a kerosene lamp. I've seen my dad use coffee cups for all kinds of things that they were never designed to be used for. And do you think I would take one of his coffee cups and go pour coffee in it and offer it to you? I might offer it to you, but I wouldn't offer it to me. You know, I'm not going to do that. But no, you wouldn't do that. It's being used for something that it was not created for. Now, if we, if we don't train our kids to follow after God, then, and, and if we begin to put some things in their lives um, that aren't of God, then we are frustrating our children and we're actually driving them further away from God. Now, I want you to think about, I've got four here, so I want you to think about four attitudes that parents in our society have towards God. The first category is the parent who says, um, I don't even know if there is a God. If there is a God, He's not interested in us. He's just left us on our own. So why in the world would I mess with God's stuff? So this category of parent, they're not pursuing God and they see no reason to have their children pursue God because they don't even think God exists. If He does, He doesn't care. Now, this second category, um, they actually think that, uh, that, that having a relationship with God is a good thing. But this parent in this second category, they think that, that what we're trying to do is get the ingredients in our child's lives right. If we have enough of the right experiences, then our child's going to live a full and happy life. 
And so God would be one of those experiences, like band, like dance, like you know, extracurricular activities. And then if you sprinkle just a little bit of God in there, it'll make the flavor just right and their lives will be happy, productive lives. Now the third group, this group of parents, they say, well, we believe that, that pursuing a relationship with God is one of the foundations of life. There are some pillars that you need to build your life on. Get a good education. Pursue a good career. Go to church. So they have all of these different foundations, and God is one of those foundations. But this last one, this category of parent believes that not only is God one of the foundations of life, God is the foundation of life, and everything else revolves around Him. Now, I want to talk to you today about our parenting, and I want you to try to figure out which camp you have been in, which camp you were parented in, and then we're going to make some decisions about which camp we want to be in for the sake of our children, for the sake of the next generation. What we want our kids to understand is that the God-centered life works. Not only is the God-centered life the only way to die, because Jesus said, I'm the only way to heaven. It's the only way to die. But I believe the God-centered life is the best way to live because you experience um, satisfaction because you are doing what you were created by God to do. sooner we recognize that we're not the center of life and God is the center of life, the more productive we can be and the more God can use us to reach others. Because would you agree with me that we come out of the womb self-centered? Do you have to teach your child to be self-centered? No, you've got to move your child from that. So how do we do it? How do we make the shift? How do we bump our children gently off of self-center? Well, to move from me-focused to God-focused, you do that by pondering God. How many of you use that word, ponder? Some of us do. It's, it's an old word, but it's a good word. It means to think about, not, not just a passing thought. It's, it's like meditation. Pondering God. You know what that really is? It means worship. And uh, when we worship God, when we meditate on what He's done from the beginning of time until today, when we think about that, we begin to see God's attributes. One of the attributes that, that Romans says is we can see the power of God through what He's created. So we see God's power, but you also see His love and His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. As you ponder God, as you worship Him, those attributes come to the forefront. And look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. When we come face to face with God, He says, nothing between us and God, our face is shining with the brightness of His face, and so we are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives, and we become like Him. In other words, when we see God, He changes us to look more like God. We become more and more like Him. If we see Him a lot, the Bible says, then we are changed a lot. If we see Him a little, then the Bible says we're changed just a very little. If we don't see Him at all... How much change is there? None, exactly. Beholding God is the key to life change. Pondering God is the key to life change. Meditating on God, worshiping God is the key to life change. Now, back to the cups. Can you see the implication? If you are in cup one, you're a parent, and that's your style in cup one. I don't know if God exists. I don't care if God exists because God doesn't care about me. If pondering, worshiping God is the key to life change... How much life change is happening in that parent's life? None. So how much life change do you think is going to trickle down to that child? None. 
And, and to be honest with you, most parents are not in this category. Most parents are in two or three. But I want you to think about this. If pondering God, worshiping God, obeying God, meditating on God's Word, praying, if those are the keys to life change, and, and this person just is talking about experiences and there's a little bit of spice to life through the church thing, if this person is saying, yeah, God is one among many um, of, of these pillars of life, how much life change do you think is happening in these parents' lives? I would guess very little because we're distracted by other things. And our kids are smart. <laughs> they know whether you really believe this stuff or they know whether you just make them go to church because you think it's the right thing to do. Kids pick up on that, especially when they hit the teenage years. If this fourth category... If that's where people read their Bible, if that's where people pray, if that's where people serve in a church and give to a church, and if that's where life change happens, which category of parenting do you think is going to have the most impact on their child's lives? The last one. That's the one that's going to dial up the God influence more than any other category that we've talked about today. And that's where I want us to be. If my child was created by God for a purpose and I fill him with other things, I'm leading him away from God. So I've got to determine what type of parent I'm going to be. So what can I do as a parent to move my kid off self-centered to God-centered? What can I do to dial up this God influence as high as it can possibly be? Well, I've decided I want my kids, my three children... I want them to, to know some foundational, basic things. And here's the first one on your listening guide. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, I want us to really look at this statement and consider the full statement because I want your help. I'm going to give you some audience participation time right here to wake you up. The last six words of that sentence, that question are, who can ever be against us? Now, if you, if you watch the news or you go to the hospital, or you just drive around your neighborhood late at night. There are some things against you. Give me a list of things. What, what are some things that are against us that, that do not help us in this life that we live? Use the hospital. What's at the hospital that... And it's not the doctors and nurses. <laughs> What's at the hospital that's against us? Sickness, disease. It represents... Us. Would you say that disease would, would like to ravage your body? Yeah. When you watch the news, what are some things on the news that are against us? Guns. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. You know, okay, sorry. What else? Countries. There's other countries against us, yeah. Anything else against you? My interest rate is against me. I mean, you could make a long list of things that are against you. But that's not the statement. The, the statement isn't, there's nothing against you. The statement is, look at it, I think we've got it on the screen. If God is for us, I want you to focus on God is for us. If we can help our kids realize, no matter what happens, God is for us, it will revolutionize their lives. God is for us. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, God is for us. I want you to say that with me. Ready? God is for us. Okay, now... 
Because this is the way I used to do with my youth group. I would make them memorize something. So this is what I want you to leave here with today. So we're going to say it four times. Each time we're going to emphasize a different word. First time we're going to emphasize God. We're going to say, God is for us. All right, you ready? God is for us. This time is. God is for us. Oh, y'all are good. This time, four. Ready? God is for us. And then the last time, us. God is for us. Oh, y'all follow directions so well. So, when you walk out of here today, if you don't know anything else, you know what? Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's close in prayer. Uh, not really. Um, now, I want you to think about if we really believed this. How would it affect our lives? How would our lives look different if we believed God is for us? I think we would look for opportunities to point out to our children when things happen in everyday life, we'd say, God did that. Thank you, God, for that. Let me give you an example. Wednesday night we had our first Wednesday uh, leadership meeting and we were gathered in here and we were talking about the building and all the stuff that has to happen in the building um, for us to get in. We uh, had started putting the insulation in the worship center in the living room. We ran out. The miscommunication between me and the, and the supplier. We ran out of insulation in the living room. So worship center looked great. There's this big section in the, in the living room that doesn't have insulation. And so Wednesday night, I just I said, I need you all to pray. I need to pray that, that God will give us wisdom to, to uh, continue to make good decisions. But I need you to pray that God will provide helpers. Because specifically for this insulation thing, it's a three-person job. When you take six-inch insulation that's five feet wide and 27 feet long, you're not hanging that by yourself when you're 14 feet in the air. Okay? So I just, I just asked our folks to pray. And so we sat right here. There was, I don't know, 15 of us here. And we prayed and we asked God, God, provide for us. Okay, what had happened on Wednesday earlier was a couple of guys, Donald and, and Ryan, came out there to work. I didn't know they were supposed to come out to work that day. And so I said, hey, what's your schedule? And, and Donald said, I, man, we're covered up for the next couple of weeks and we're not going to be able to come back. Um, he said, we'll help you, you know, when we get back. And I said, okay, no problem. You know, you've got you to make a living. And so um, we come and we pray that night. The next morning, I'm driving on my way out to the building and, and one of the workers calls me and says, hey, the insulation's here. I was like, great. And uh, when I get there, lo and behold, there's, there's Donald and Ryan. I walk in and I said, I said what are y'all you doing here? You're supposed to be out of town. And Ryan, without even thinking, he goes, Man, we're supposed to be out of town, but God keeps sending us out to the building. And I laughed. I said, you are so right. I said, let me tell you what happened last night. We prayed and we asked that God would provide. You know what got finished on Thursday that I had no idea would get finished on Thursday? The insulation. And I went home that night going, dude, God, we have not because we ask not. I think that's found in the Bible. (laughs) You have not because you ask not. Or when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. God says that, that when our hearts are pure, that he's, he's the ultimate Father. And He wants to help us. But, but He's not going to force Himself on us. He waits until we ask. And He says, which of you, if your child asks you for some bread, do you give him a snake? Some of you, I know, would probably do that. But, but the, 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 the less psychotic of us wouldn't do that. Um, and Jesus was making a point. If you, as humans that, that have a sinful nature, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will God, your Father, give to those who ask? But we don't ask. We've got to look around and see things happen. 
And, and just think, if our kids get this, no matter what happens to us, God is for us. Parents, and some of you, I've talked to you, some of you, your parents were not good parents. And some of your parents have, have left you or abandoned you. Parents not for you? The Bible says God is for you. Your parents, your dad is not the best dad. The best dad is God and He wants to be your heavenly Father. Teachers may neglect us or pick on us. God is for us. Your family turns their back on you. They may be ashamed to let anybody know they're related to you. God is for you. The One who made the oceans, who created the mountains, listens to your prayers if you are a child of God. God is for you right now, even this minute. If God had a calendar, your birthday would be circled. If He drove a car, your name would be on His bumper. If there's a tree in heaven, God has carved your name in the bark. If you're playing a sport, turn to the sidelines, that's God that's cheering you on. Look past the finish line, that's God who's applauding you. Listen for Him in the bleachers, shouting your name. Are you too tired to go on? God will carry you. Too discouraged to fight? God will fight for you because God is for you. Knowing that, who can ever be against you? That's the question. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can your value be diminished? No. God is for us. Can disease rob your purpose in life? No, God is for us. Disease may rob your physical strength, but God is for us. And this is not the end. Though hell itself may come against you, you are protected because God is for us. And that's the first thing I want my kids to know. No matter what, God is for you. Second thing I want my kids to know is can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? This is Romans 8.35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I was a youth minister for 19 years. You know what the number one question I got in youth ministry was? Can I do something so bad that God will never forgive me? Is it possible for me to do something so bad that God will never forgive me? And, and my, my answer to that was no. It is not possible. The only unforgivable sin that you can commit is dying without Christ as your heavenly Father. Because then when you stand before God, He says, depart from me because I don't know who you are. But the Bible says if you will ask Christ to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, you're adopted into His family. And the Bible doesn't talk about unadoption. Once you're adopted, you're in the family. So there's nothing you can do other than reject Christ and die without Christ that is an unpardonable, unpardonable sin. Or let's ask it this way. Does God love me on days other than Sunday? Because Sunday I at least make an effort to you know, show up and we don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about our appearance when we come to church. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I don't want you to get caught up in, in what you look like because nobody cares <laughs> around here. You know, we're not going to be impressed. We don't care what you look like. Um, and, and so uh, the question is, Monday through Saturday when I'm doing my real life and I'm stressed and I lose my cool and I yell at my kids because they're kids, because they spill something or they erp in the back seat. It wasn't just in the back seat. It was everywhere. And, and I get upset about my kids throwing up in the car and I'm a jerk. Does God still love me? If um, I 
If I give in to temptation and I sin and I, and I feel really bad about myself, does God still love me? If, if some of you are lonely and your loneliness overcomes your, your sense of right and wrong and, and you commit sexual sin, does God still love you? Y'all weren't so emphatic there. Yes. If you give in to a temptation to do drugs, does God still love you? Yes. Sometimes I question how my wife and my kids can love me. Some, some of y'all question how they can too. Um, but I don't question whether my Heavenly Father loves me. Max Licato gave this great example to, to answer this question. So we'd believe it that God loves us. So we'd believe it. God did what no man had ever dreamed. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He placed His hand on the shoulder of humanity and said, You're something special. Untethered by time, He sees us all. From the backwoods of Virginia to the business district of London, from the Vikings to the astronauts, not like the, you know, not Adrian Peterson, I saw his jersey, in the, but, you know, the, the Vikings that sailed the seas. The Vikings to the astronauts, from the cave dwellers to the kings, from the hut builders to the finger pointers to the rock stackers, He sees us. He saw us before we were born, and He loves what He sees. Flooded by emotion, overcome by pride, the star maker turns to us one by one and says, You are my child. I love you dearly. I'm aware that someday you'll turn away from me and walk away. But what I want you to know is I've already provided a way for you to come back. And to prove it, God did something extraordinary. Stepping from the throne, He removed His robe of light and wrapped Himself in skin, pigmented human skin. The light of the universe entered a dark, wet womb. He who angels worshipped nestled Himself in the placenta of a peasant was birthed into a cold night and then slept on cow's hay. Can anything make me stop loving you, God asks? Watch me speak your language, sleep on your earth, and feel your hurts. Behold the maker of sight and sound as he sneezes, coughs, and blows his nose. You wonder if I understand how you feel? Look into the dancing eyes of the kid in Nazareth. That's God walking to school. Ponder, there's that word ponder, ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God spilling His milk. You wonder how long my love will last? Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. That's me you see there, your maker, your God, nails stabbed and bleeding, covered in, in, sin and, uh, covered in spit and sin-soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you. Now back to the question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? That's Romans 8.35. Now look at Romans 8.38 and 39. Paul says, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above us, nothing below us, nor anything else in the whole world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is for us and nothing can separate us from His love. That's what I want my kids to know. God provides our children every good thing. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing our children need to live a full and productive life, God has provided. But there's a catch. 
in order for God to show our children the right way, there's a condition. Our children cannot live in this category where they say, I don't know if there's a God. Our children can't live in these categories where God is just you know, a little ingredient to add to the mix or just one of many foundations. In order for God to provide for our children the life that we want for them and really the life that they want for themselves, fulfillment, they have to order their lives around God. God is not one foundation. He is the foundation on which you build your life. And the Bible promises if you will build your life on that foundation... God will show you the way. I can't be with my kids all the time. God can. I don't know what will happen tomorrow. God does. Which one is going to be the better person for them to follow? Me or God? God. God doesn't want to deprive us of fun. He wants us to experience the most fulfilling life possible. And the only way we do that is to live God's way. So if we're going to dial up this influence of God to the highest point possible, then then we've got to ask ourselves some questions about our children. Here's question number one. You have to determine this answer. What do I want them to become? If my goal is for my son to be a major league soccer star, I mean, that's his dream. He'd love to play professional soccer. If my goal in life is for him to do that and he doesn't make that, what happens to him? I mean, I've read stories. There was a kid who was raised from birth to be an NFL quarterback and he failed. And he's wandered around aimlessly ever since he failed, being rejected by his father, feeling like he's got no purpose in life. What do you want them to become? We spend way too much time determining um, our approval of our children based on their performances. When we pray for our kids, you know what we pray for? I pray that my kids will fall in love with the local church. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. There is nothing else like the local church when the local church is working right. And I pray that my kids will fall in love with the local church. And I pray that my kids will find attractive people of the opposite sex who are passionate about God. That's what we pray over and over for our kids. And if they do those things, if they, if they spend their lives, whether they're in ministry or not, you know, uh, full-time vocational ministry, that's not even the object to me. I want my kids serving in a church till the day they die. And I want them to marry someone who thinks Jesus is the greatest. Because life is hard enough when you're doing things God's way. I don't want them married to somebody that... And I don't care what the other person looks like. If they love Jesus and they're committed to the church, they will have my blessings. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We read this last week. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never rely on what you think you know. That's my favorite phrase in that whole thing. Because what I think I know gets me in trouble all the time. And you too. Remember the Lord in everything you do and He will show you the right way. You have to answer question one before you answer question two. What do you want them to become? Second question. Where are they right now? What do I want my children to become and where are they right now? And uh, I've got I to be brutally honest right now. Our kids are right where we've put them. 
our kids are right where we've put them socially, relationally, spiritually. My kids are far from God. It's because I've dialed down the influence. And I've got no one to blame but myself. You know, if your kids were in danger physically, you would probably die to protect them. But God's not asking you to die. He's asking you to live a life that points your kids toward God. What that means is you're probably going to have to live a different way so that your kids can see God in you. Third question I've got to ask is how do I, how do I help them take the next step? I've got to know what I want them to become. I've got to know where they are. And the hardest thing to come to grips with is spiritually, they are right where I've put them. But, but the, the hope is that I can do something about where they are to help them get closer to God. How can I help them know Christ? Now, some of you may be saying, I don't want to force religion on my kids. I want them to make up their own minds. That's stupid. Do you let your kids decide whether they're going to sit in a, in a child safety seat in the car? Why not? When you go on a trip, do you let your kids decide every stop you make? Well, stop there, 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 there. You never get anywhere. This is too serious an issue for you to say, I'm just going to let my kid make up their own mind. Now, you can't force anything on them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you live in a way that they see your life and they say, that life works and I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom. Because you have built your life on that foundation and they say, it works and I want to do that. Your child might be dealing with a particular temptation. And I just got to tell you, um, years ago... I, I knew a mom whose, whose teenage sons were struggling with internet pornography. And, and she couldn't figure out how to, how to help them. One thing she did that I did not understand is every year she would buy them swimsuit model calendars and posters to put all over their walls. I said, that doesn't make sense to me if your child's struggling to pour gasoline on the fire. Um, if you don't know how to handle that, talk to people who are further down the road than you are and say, how do we do this? Don't, don't keep the stuff a secret. You've got to figure out where they are and how to, how to turn up the God dial so that they'll look to God and He'll show them the right way. What we're talking about matters, and I don't want you to put this off. I want you to ask these questions today. What I want them to become... Where are they and how can I help them take the next step? And I want you to come up with a plan. Now, maybe you want to be in this fourth group. Maybe you desperately want to be in the fourth group. Maybe you say, I want my kids to know that, that God is the only way to live. But maybe you can't lead your kids to get right spiritually because you're not right spiritually. You can't lead your child to Christ because you've never come to Christ. You can't lead your child to be baptized because you've never been baptized. You can't lead your child to pray or read their Bible because you don't pray or read your Bible. You can't lead your, your children to uh, serve and give a portion of their money to the church because you're not serving or giving a portion of your money to the church. 
you can't lead them someplace you're not. It's because these principles are caught. They're, they're not so much taught. They're caught. And what we're talking about matters too much to just leave it to chance. So maybe the most significant thing you can do for the sake of your children today is get right with God. Maybe you need to take a step towards God before you can lead your children towards God. So once you take out your registration cards for just a moment, fill them out. And uh, I, I want to ask this.